Welcome to Zurich's Risk Insight Series on Coronavirus, What Businesses Need to Know Now. Hi, I'm Renee Koa from Zurich, North America. Today, we'll be talking about the challenges that schools face as they reopen their campuses during the COVID-19 outbreak. Sharing important insights with us is Julie Bolton, Vice President of Casualty Risk Engineering for Zurich, North America, who leads a team of engineers across the United States. Her team helps customers manage their casualty exposures. For example, they help customers identify and reduce exposures related to communicable diseases in various aspects of their workplace. Julie, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you, Renee. I'm happy to be here. One of the most challenging issues for schools has to be creating a response plan when a student or staff member tests positive for COVID-19. Where do they begin? Renee, that's a great question. A lot of people struggle with where do we even start? And there are a lot of great resources that are available through the CDC and other accredited agencies designed to help schools get going. There's templates out there that can be used, but what's imperative is that the template be tailored to meet the school's specific needs. Response plans need to address any of the findings that were already identified by the schools when they executed their initial hazard analysis, when they started to look at reopening and did that initial assessment to identify the potential exposures and hazards, the response plan to a positive test needs to incorporate those findings. It needs to also incorporate applicable government guidelines. And once it's developed, it needs to be reviewed with the local health agencies and emergency response officials because they need to be looped in with regards to what the school plans to do so they can offer their insights. They need to meet local needs. A plan that was developed for a small town would never work in a large city and vice versa. So customization is absolutely imperative. That's really a good point. And you know, when we talked earlier, you also indicated that schools need to adjust their mindset long before they open those doors. Yeah, Renee, you know that you and I have talked about, I'm, and this is a point I'm passionate on, we cannot continue the mindset of the gold star for perfect attendance. Parents and teachers and students just need to realize this is not the year to be giving out perfect attendance awards. And a plan needs to address this and also ensure that reminders are set out. Staff and students have to stay home if they're ill or have any symptoms that are COVID symptoms, even if they don't believe it's COVID. The messaging needs to be ongoing. It has to be dynamic so people don't tune it out. This might even be the year to have an attendance for the student that makes the right decision and stays home as opposed to coming in. In thinking about absences as well, Schools need to revisit their substitute teacher lists and policies because a lot of substitute teachers are retired teachers and they're in what would be the vulnerable population right now. So they may not be willing 
to replace a teacher who's gone off due to a positive COVID test. So schools need to be aware of that and really look at absences and the way they treat absences and not penalize teachers or staff for being absent, but really more applaud them for making the right decision. Excellent point. Okay, though, Julie, now the, the big question, what does a school do when a student or staff member starts developing symptoms at the school? And, and that's, that is a tough one. Um, the student or staff who starts developing symptoms at school, it's hard because again, allergies, the common cold, the flu, they share some of COVID symptoms. And so while you want to assume someone with symptoms has COVID and isolate them, you don't want to create panic. Might If you don't have a school nurse, it might mean that the school has in advance already contacted somebody in the medical community that they could get online. But then that individual who is exhibiting symptoms needs to be isolated. And if it's a student, the person in supervision needs to have the proper PPE to monitor that isolation so you don't just leave them in a room until they can be picked up. Wow, there's a lot to think about. I, I also wondered though, what about a school finding out that someone on site was discovered to have tested positive? And we know this is already happening. So if someone on site is found to have tested positive, but is say asymptomatic, you would still wanna isolate them immediately as you would with anyone who had symptoms. You know, if it is somebody who was on site and then left and then notified the school that they had tested positive, the response may vary depending on whether, was it a staff member, was it a student, was it somebody dropping a student off? You're going to have to address each situation individually. And so this is where the school's response plan needs to look at what are the different scenarios. Do we, if, do we close off an area for cleaning? Do we have to shut down the whole school? Where did the individual travel? Got it. Okay, so you've got the different responses uh, set out, but how does a school handle communicating that information to, to the families, to the community? I, that seems like that also requires a lot of advanced planning. It requires more advanced planning than it ever has before because of social media. And so first and foremost, schools need to be well versed in privacy laws and ensure that all of their faculty and staff know them as well. It's likely that local health officials will have already been notified of the positive test, but schools need to also call them so that they can work side by side with them and make sure that they execute a proper a proper cleaning and then work with them to identify any other individuals that may have been impacted. Part of the response plan needs to be 
actual scripts that can be used to making personal phone calls. Parents are going to need to know, guardians are going to need to know. And when you're calling somebody who is potentially impacted, you have to ensure that the right communication is provided to those individuals and the right details, but without overstepping privacy laws. And in addition to these pre-written scripts that can be used in personal phone calls, you're going to need pre-written emails. And then who can send those emails? It needs to be somebody in authority and they need to not be modified. They need to, there needs to be a policy that says, hey, this is, this is how we're going to communicate if somebody has COVID on site. And it might need to be a different email for a student than if it were a parent, than if it were somebody in the staff, the support staff at the school. This is also the time to revisit social media policies. And what is the school's social media policy? Are all of the staff aware of what the policy is? And how does the policy address this specific incident? Because if it is not crystal clear that in the event of a positive test on campus, nobody should be using social media to talk about it and you don't explicitly call it out, it could be missed. And it just, I come back again to the whole privacy law. You've got to stress the knowledge of that law. You've got to stress to teachers and to all staff the how imperative it is. It's just absolutely critical that they become familiar with the laws and what can and cannot be shared. Well, you know, building on that, Julie, anyone that tests positive, they're not living in a bubble. The uh, people that are at risk of exposure could include a wide spectrum of individuals, right? Oh, absolutely. Um, it, 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 you have people who are carpooling together. They're on, they might be on the bus together. They could have been out on, you know, playing in the, the playground together and, you know, before or after school programs. So there's so much interaction that goes beyond just the classroom. So this is where the plan is so imperative because it can look at those different scenarios and kind of look to how do we create this communication? Who do we need to communicate to? How do we do it? Anyone who has come in contact with someone confirmed to have COVID needs to be made aware so they can take the right precautions. The public health department is going to be able to assist in this matter as well. They will assist in contact and cohort tracing by collecting information from the infected individual. You know, the control plan that the school developed with regards to are we going to move classes or are we going to move teachers? You know, I know there are agencies that have recommended don't move the class, move the teacher because it creates less movement. Going to be less potential exposures, so different communication plan depending on which style the school opts to go with. 
individuals who could be impacted and that you need to consider communicating with. So I mentioned carpools, companions, members of the household, other schools. If the individual who tested positive has a sibling at another school or somebody else that you know was actually in contact with the person who tested positive has a sibling at another school, those schools and the neighboring areas also need to be made aware of that potential exposure. Got it. Now, Julie, I want to touch on something you alluded to um, earlier, and that's about the cleaning and disinfecting procedures. I'm guessing those have to be more rigorous once someone on campus is tested positive. Well, absolutely, Renee and enhanced cleaning should already be in place. But following a confirmed case, it might be necessary to bring in an outside crew or utilize an internal specialized crew. CDC recommendations for closing should be followed and may require closing for 24 hours before even beginning cleaning to protect your cleaners. The CDC also recommends ventilating the area to the outside as much as possible by opening windows. In addition, the EPA website has a very comprehensive list of registered disinfectants that are specifically applicable to the COVID-19 virus. Schools need to ensure they have the supplies on hand. Right now, they're not always readily available. And as schools reopen, they may find that they are shutting down more than once as we get things under control. So ensuring that they have more than a one month supply is going to be imperative because the supply chain is just not there right now. We all know this from even trying to find hand sanitizers. So that's a really good information, Julie. But that leads me to the next question. Schools have to decide if and when they'll initiate a shutdown, right? We've already seen this happen across the country with different responses. Yeah, Renee, I actually had a friend the other day who surprisingly had to go pick up their child at school because of a an unexpected shutdown, you know, and it was luckily they were in a role where they could stop everything and go get their child. This is where it becomes so important to communicate in advance the plan and share the plan to the parents and guardians because they need to understand if there's a positive case and the school needs to close, what the expectation is of them to come get their child. Because if the school is closing due to a positive COVID test, that could also impact aftercare programs as well as sports programs. And if you tell them in advance, they can have parents and guardians can better plan. Not all can flip a switch and just go pick up their child. Dismissal and shutdown decisions will need to be clearly communicated to staff, parents, students, vendors, after school programs, any ancillary organizations that could be impacted. And sports programs, if a school closes, their sports programs also need to be suspended. They need to, the plan needs to also detail how are the schools going to switch to virtual learning? How are they going to get some of the, some schools have lunch programs. 
how will they get this the food distributed to students if they have to if they have to shut down quickly this has been terrific information julie i'm wondering if you have any closing thoughts i would i would say one of the most important things i mean the plan has to be a living document it has to be practiced it has to be rehearsed if they are not practiced and rehearsed they don't work when i began my career i started by writing environmental plans which included response plans and those that were the most effective were the ones that were rehearsed the ones that got taken off the shelf and kept off the shelf and used and revisited. And so if there's an incident at a school, they execute the plan. They need to then go back and say what worked, what didn't, how do we tweak this? It has to be a living document. Excellent information, Julie. Thank you so much for sharing these valuable insights today. Renee, thank you so much for inviting me. For more information and resources on transitioning back to the workplace, visit Zurich's Coronavirus Resource Hub on our website, zurichna.com COVID-19. On behalf of everyone at Zurich, thanks for listening. The information in this audio recording was compiled from sources believed to be reliable for general information purposes and is intended for Zurich clients and business partners. The information contained herein may be useful to you or your enterprise when developing your own policies and procedures. The policies and procedures applicable to your enterprise should take into account the specific circumstances of your business and business environment, which is beyond the capacity of this podcast. Any and all information provided is not intended to constitute advice of any nature and is specifically not legal advice, and accordingly, you should consult with your own legal counsel. We do not guarantee the accuracy of this information presented or any results and further assume no liability in connection with this recording and the information provided therein. Moreover, Zurich reminds you that the information provided cannot be assumed to contain every acceptable safety and compliance procedure or that additional procedures might not be appropriate under the circumstances. The subject matter of this recording is not tied to any specific insurance product, nor will adopting these policies and procedures ensure coverage under any insurance policy. We encourage listeners to seek additional information from credible sources. Thank you.